Good morning. You're on 2XX. The program is called Behind the Lines and you're with Scotty and Annie. And this week our guest is Jo Clay. Jo is a Canberra woman who's had a lot of involvement and interest in climate and how we can change our lives to reduce our impact. And as part of that, she's done a whole lot of work and not just research, but practical work including her own family being guinea pigs, um, on what's called the low-carbon diet. Now, we've all heard of low-carb diets, and many of us have probably tried them. But tell us, Joe, what's the low-carbon diet? Well, the good news, Annie, is you get to eat a lot of bread. <laughs> so, Annie, I, I set out to see if it was possible to cut my footprint by 75%. And I, at the same time, I looked at the Australian average footprint, And I tried out little one-week experiments, um, and I spent a lot of time looking at food, but I also looked at a whole lot of other areas too. I looked at transport and flights and the things we buy, and I tried different one-week experiments to cut that back, and then I used carbon accounting to see what really worked. Now, there's some really good news from this project. When I started, I actually didn't even know what my footprint was, and I sort of thought 75% was a pretty big goal. I, I... thought it pretty unlikely I'd reach it. I've actually cut 77% from the Australian household footprint by doing things that I think are really pleasant and my family really enjoys. We can we can sustain this for the rest of our lives. Oh, how amazing. You'll have to tell us a lot more about how you, how you got into it. So um, how did you actually work out what your footprint was and, and how it could be reduced? Sure, Annie. It's actually a really difficult area for people to get their heads around because the numbers are frankly awful. Mm. Um, So there's Australian government figures on this stuff, but they measure the entire Australian footprint. They don't really tell you what your own footprint is. And you know, somebody who's eating vegan and somebody who's eating high meat, they don't have the same footprints. Mm. So I actually measured it as I went and I did a baseline. So when I looked at food for the first week, I actually weighed and measured every single thing I cooked and ate for a week. I wouldn't recommend anyone do this. This is a shortcut to insanity, but you can do it for a week. Um, And and then I used uh, carbon emission factors and multiplied those out to work out what our average footprint was if we ate that way for the whole year. Mm. And what did your family feel about this? (laughs) They they were part of the guinea pig project, weren't they? (laughs) They were indeed. My my partner, Rob, who is a... uh, much more rational man than I am. He's, he's the voice of reason in our household. It was interesting. And my, my daughter, Xander, has been very enthusiastic. My partner, Rob, started off with a lot of pushback. And it was actually really good, I think, to do this as a, an ordinary family experiment. Mm. Probably if I'd done it by myself, I would have ended up in crazy person land. Um, but Rob kept pushing back and saying, no, I don't, I don't want to give that up for the rest of my life. No, that's too far. No, that's too much. And it's actually been really good. At the end of the carbon diet, he's now actually really enthusiastic and really happy with what we're doing. And our lives are actually better. It's quite interesting. They're simpler. We've saved a lot of money, but we actually have a, a better, richer family life as a result. Wow, that's, that's something that most people would really love to hear, that they can have a positive impact on the environment and save money at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, we all want something like that, don't we? Well, yeah. I think we do. Everyone, everyone is nodding in this room. We'll take that. <laughs> take that. The radio nod. The radio, the radio nod. nod. That's right. <laughs> so maybe tell us, Joe, what your key findings were. Yeah, it's interesting, Annie. A lot of, a lot of the priorities we have as a nation 
in terms of fighting climate change and reducing our carbon are right. They're spot on right. Um, electricity and energy is a big issue. And look, in Canberra, we've now switched to 100% renewable electricity. So that's fantastic news. And that's definitely one of the, the big ticket areas. Um, transport is a really big area and that's a big government priority we need to cut that back and there's a lot of different ways around that but there are also some other areas that have gotten much less attention that are actually causing a huge bit of carbon to be emitted so flying for instance that's starting to get a lot of attention in community circles and overseas and we all know Greta Thunberg didn't fly <laughs> for good reason. And when I actually looked at the amount of carbon that you emit from one flight, she's absolutely right. We really need to reduce that. And there's hidden flights all through our supply chain. So I looked at the flights that I was taking and my family was taking, and we've decided to cut that back to one third. And now we just go to the South Coast. So, you know, it's, it's hardly a sacrifice mm. in Australia to take local holidays. And mm. particularly now, those people need our tourism yeah. more than ever. Um, but I found a lot of hidden flights. So I wrote to Coles and Aldi and Woolworths and I asked them just a simple question of which of your, uh, what in your grocery aisle has flown on a plane? And none of them could answer that question. Oh. So there's sort of hidden bits of flights. And then I also realised a few things I'd been doing as an environmentalist I'd been getting wrong. So I like a bit of online Etsy shopping, you know. I'm a middle-aged, middle-class woman who doesn't love a bit of Etsy. Mm. And I was sourcing vintage, beautiful items from overseas. Mm. And then those were going on a plane and flying to me mm. in Canberra. And the impact of those flights completely offset any benefits I gain from the recycling. Yeah. So there's sort of all these little hidden bits of carbon buried in our lives that don't really add value to us mm. that we can do better. And we just need to know about them and shine a light on it. Mm. So if, if you're a, an average, I put that in, in inverted commas, but, you know, because there is no real average, but, you know, a, a family of, like you, a family of three and mm -hmm. probably pets. Have you yes. got pets as well? What, what were the key things that you realised you needed to cut back on and, and why was that? Sure. Well, I'm actually really glad you brought up pets. I have two dogs and we love our dogs. They're our fur babies mm. and I can't imagine life without them. Um, environmentally, pets are a bit tricky, actually. So our dogs, in, dogs and cats in particular eat a lot of meat. And I didn't realise until I ran the numbers how much of an impact that had. So if you're feeding two medium dogs a pet food beef-based diet, you might be emitting seven tonnes of carbon dioxide and equivalent emissions. That you, you, probably nobody out there knows what that's like, that's probably a third of your footprint added on just from feeding your dogs. Mm. So they're, they're not flying on planes, they're not buying fast fashion, but they have this huge impact. Um, and the answer, the answer is sort of pl more pleasant and simpler than you think. We could, of course, get rid of all our pets, but nobody wants to do that. Mm. You can just feed them differently. So it's really simple. We have been feeding our dogs um, a vegan kibble breakfast and a homemade low meat dinner for over a decade. And that's quite healthy, but a lot of people probably wouldn't want to do that. Um, so the, the more moderate version that I tested out for the carbon diet was just a supermarket pet food that's grain based, listing grain as the first ingredient and a kibble and no beef, no red meat. So, you know, chicken, duck, 
roux, pork, whatever else you like. Plenty of these are available in the supermarket aisle. And that actually drops that carbon footprint from seven tonnes a year to maybe half a tonne a year. So it's this amazing transformation Mm. with a change that probably once you've made it for the first couple of weeks, you won't even notice you've done it. Mm. And your dogs, your dogs won't care. So there's, there's a lot of simple swaps like that, I think. So you've mentioned meat, and that's, of course, a big one, you know, for, you know, big contested territory, isn't it, for a a lot of people. Um, But, you know, in Canberra or in any city in Australia, the majority of people eat meat. Mm. So how can, is it possible for people to keep eating meat and cut their footprint? It, It is possible. I think vegans are wonderful people, and they are much better than I am. Um, I would like to be vegan, but I, I'm just not uh, tough enough to do it. That's it. I got a lot of pushback from my partner. And when I first, <laughs> this, this is a funny one, when I first suggested to my partner 10 years ago that, you know, we should really become vegan, it's the only ethical mm. option. He said, yep, that's fine. You do it. I won't. And I said, well, all right, then I guess I can cook for myself. What are you going to have? And he said, I'll, I'll just make steak every night. So I stopped and thought about it and I'm like, oh my God, if I went vegan, our household footprint would actually triple. Like this, this isn't going to work. This oh. is just not going to work, which is probably where the whole carbon diet sort of started. Yeah. So what we've done instead, I actually, I really love meat. I think I'm the right sort of person to do this project because I'm a hedonist. I like my pleasures. Yeah. I love meat. I love travel. I love all the things that are causing our footprints to be so high. Yeah. So I'm looking for easy options. Yeah. So our easy option that we're all, all three of us are really happy with now, we eat, uh, I cook during the week and I cook vegan and vegetarian. My partner cooks on the weekend. We used to eat steak twice a week. Now we eat steak once a month. Mm. And the other weeks we're having duck and pork and chicken and it's delicious. So we've, again, we've, we've, it's like with the dog food, we've taken this really high impact diet. We've made a few simple swaps. We still have a really good outcome we actually eat better than we used to we enjoy our food more Mm. and it it works it Mm. just works Mm. yeah so what's the difference between your ducks and your pigs and 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 the red meat yeah it's interesting what's going on there so what's happening is most of the impact the carbon emissions from meat happens on the farm with your lamb and your beef most of that is coming out in methane so they they burp um, and there's a lot of clever scientists and clever agriculturists working on this to try and reduce it, but it's still really high. And I, I hate to talk numbers because everybody shuts down, but it's the only way to talk about it. The emissions factor for beef is about 24, and that means about 24 kilos of carbon come out for every kilo of bone-free meat. The emissions factor for chicken and duck is around three or four, Pork and roux is usually around six or seven or eight. So you can sort of already see that you could eat seven times as much chicken as beef and have the same impact. So that, that's really the problem. And until and unless we come up with a way of fixing that, I think we can definitely still have beef and lamb in this country and it's part of our culture. We just need to eat a lot less of it. Mm. Mm. Have you heard? I believe there's a study out there, but I haven't yet tracked it down that it's looked at beef eating grass as opposed to beef who are being fed grain because cows don't eat grain cows eat grass and because they're getting this odd diet they're doing an awful lot more farting yep and burping than they would if they were just hanging around in the paddock yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, Scotty, I haven't seen that particular study. I have mm, heard that. Track it down. Yeah, track it down. I absolutely, absolutely, our pasture-fed animals should be eating grass, and I actually think that as from an animal welfare point of view anyway, it's not healthy to feed animals food that they can't digest. That's not great for anybody. Um, I, I have seen a few of the grass-fed studies and the ones I have seen tend to say, oh, look, we've reduced the impact of beef by 5% or 10%. It's great news, but that means you're taking 24 and taking it down to maybe 22 or 20 or 18 until you can take that 24 down to 3. And then when you're looking at your vegan proteins, they're usually around, you know, 0.3. So I, it's all good news. There's some really interesting things happening um, with the, the clever guys up at CSIRO and a lot of the agriculturalists of, you know, what else can we feed our cows and what else can we feed our sheep and how can we do this in a smarter way? And all of that is really good research. But I think at this stage we're still going to have to eat less of it. Yeah, interesting. Thanks. Mm. What about, let's move on and think about dairy. Mm. So there's a lot of people in the world who are vegetarians. They, have, they don't eat meat, but they still eat dairy. And often, this is my experience as a vegetarian, you probably eat a lot more dairy than an omnivore because you're kind of replacing meat to a certain extent with dairy. I'm sure it's got impacts that we'd all love to avoid. <laughs> Tell me the worst. <laughs> well, it, interesting. We I tested out vegetarian and this is where the uh, specifics matter, obviously. Probably what I ate on my vegetarian week, Annie, might be different from what mm. you eat. Mm. Who knows? I really enjoyed that week. I ate an awful lot of cheese and cream and I included seafood in mm. that one, which not all vegetarians mm. would. Right. Um, it, the impact of that was much less than the impact of the average Australian diet. Interestingly, it was a bit higher than my normal diet because my normal diet before this experiment was a lot of vegan with a bit of meat and not that much dairy. Yeah. Um, so I would say if you're going, it, almost any change from the average Australian diet will probably improve. If you're eating, it's really hard to say an average, but if you're eating the standard high meat, high dairy and you move to vegetarian, you will save carbon. But if you don't want to move to vegetarian or you want to do a bit more research, you can do some smarter things by reducing your dairy, swapping out your red meats for white meats and then cutting all that back and increasing plant foods. Yeah. Anything, anything, it, it actually came down to a very simple principle of anything that's a plant food is good. Mm. Um, mm. And you don't even have to think that through very hard. You don't need to worry about whether it's wrapped in plastic. You don't need to worry about whether it's been imported. You don't need to worry about too much. If it's a plant food, it's going to be low carbon. Ah. I was going to ask you, I was thinking about, you know, in the 1970s when I lived in group houses and there was always big pots of beans soaking in kitchens <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> lentils were something Brilliant. we ate constantly. Um, I still eat a, a lot of the bean family, but mm. I, I have to confess I mostly eat canned beans. I, it's rare for me to, if I make a dal, I'll you know, cook from the um, the dried. The dried. Thanks, thanks, Cody. But so, how did you? I don't know if you went into that sort of detail, but I wonder. You know, the fact that it's in a can is is that is that worse from a carbon point of view than the cooking I'd be doing? I I started looking at this. It gets really yeah. involved. Um, I started looking at food processing, which is really what you're talking about mm. with the difference between canned and dried. Um, the canned goods are a bit heavier, so there's a bit more of a transport yeah. footprint um, because there's more moisture, so you, you're transporting more of it, and there's a bit more processing in a factory. Um, and I, I 
didn't get any really strong conclusions, but I did look at it closely enough to decide that it probably doesn't matter. Mm. So with the transport, we've all gotten, we all got very worried about food miles. Um, and that's something that's stuck around for a long time because before we did life cycle analyses, we knew about food miles and we knew that if something travelled a long way, that was a big footprint. But actually, we were wrong. If something travels on a plane, mm. that's a huge footprint. We, yeah. shouldn't, we shouldn't fly any food. We just shouldn't be doing it. Um, but if something travels by ship and by efficient road, it's got a tiny footprint. And to illustrate that, I used standard industry factors and I looked at what happens when you take 20 kilos of food from India to Canberra by ship and road. And that emitted less carbon than when I jumped in my car and drove 13.5 kilometres down to pick it up at the supermarket at the other end. So that entire long road and sea freight journey doesn't matter. Uh, it, it does. It, it's got a very low impact. Mm. Um, the processing, again, with there is – we do use energy when we process foods and can them and then there's embedded emissions in the, the metal and all yeah. these little bits yeah. all the way through. Um, the plant food has such a low – emissions factor and such low impact i would say eat whatever you like mm. i'd mm. say just keep it simple if it's plant food soak them i use dried lentils when i'm yep. making dal and yeah. when i'm making soups i use tinned beans yeah. when i'm not because it's just easier and mate we're all busy yeah so i would say just just keep yeah. it simple and if, if you like tofu if you want some tofu mm. from your fridge instead that's great too yeah i used yeah. Years and years ago, back in those days, I used to make tofu, you know, with a pressure <sighs> cooker and, uh, you no. know, there are at least one episode where the ceiling ended up covered in <coughs> bits of, to- <laughs> bits of soybean, soybean slush all over the ceiling. It's not much fun to clean up. Um, oh, genius. But, you know, that was a different era these days. Yes, we're all going to go and grab a, and grab some tofu from the supermarket rather than, well, not everyone so people will still be banking it and good on them but it does take a lot of time and effort and energy because you're it's that question of you know whether something done in a big processing plant the energy that's used there compared to individual people using individual energy in their homes you know mm. it's got to be an efficiency surely in the way it's done in the big facility there, there absolutely is and i um now that we have 100 percent renewable electricity in Australia, I have a gas cooker. Mm. I'm planning on replacing that gas cooker, mm. but I haven't done it yet. Mm. So I'm always thinking, oh, you know, maybe if this came from a factory, if did it come from a factory that was using renewables, that might be better than my gas cooker. Who knows? Mm. It, it gets really – this is why I think we haven't really grappled with our carbon footprints very well because yeah. there's a lot of detail. Yeah. So we all know how much a loaf of bread costs and we all know how much a car costs, but not many of us know how much carbon is in those things mm. because we just it, – it, it's quite complicated. It is, and there's all mm. those other factors. I remember <laughs> hearing, oh, gosh, it was probably about 40 years ago that a, a one kilo of bread um, meant the loss of seven kilos of soil. So there's all those other factors as well. I mean, yep. it depends on how the farming's done, of course, and now we've got a lot more no-till happening and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that everything, I guess, in our lives has got all these impacts that are not so obvious. So I, I'm really impressed that you've gone, delved down into the depths of this because I think many of us are really keen and to reduce our emissions. And if, if it's something, if it's a simple substitution, then yep. it's something that's more approachable yep. for people to do. Now you mentioned driving down to the supermarket. I think I saw something <laughs> on your uh, on your thing about farmers markets that we we 
virtuously drive to farmers markets but is that the whole local food yeah, thing the, i guess the local food thing the mm. local food thing is interesting and i would say if you enjoy shopping at your farmers market or your co-op that's got real value that's got real social value for you mm. and probably also your keeping your footprint low simply because if you shop at those sorts of places you're probably eating more plant foods Mm. but what i would say is if it's a big hassle and you would rather go to coles and you feel green virtue is telling you you shouldn't don't worry about it plant foods is the thing that makes a difference and i looked at that when i looked at um packaging if i i did a week where i wanted to strip off the plastic packaging because, you know, that's very topical. Mm, mm. Um, And I'm not going to – plastic obviously isn't good for the environment. It's Mm. a non-renewable resource. It's not a great thing for us to be using. But if the only way to eat in a city without plastic packaging is really to go out of your way to a loose food place. And for me, that's a long way away. Mm. Now, if I were riding there, it's a really long way away. If I were riding there, maybe that would be okay. But I'm driving in my car and Mm. I weighed – and calculated the embedded carbon emissions in the plastic that yep. I'd saved, and I measured the embedded emissions just in tailpipe emissions in the petrol, mm-hmm. and the petrol was more than the plastic. Yeah. And it's, it's a really interesting comparison because the plastic is made from the same stuff as the petrol. Yeah. So you're really swapping one for the other. So I'm like, great, if, if I want to shop like that and I have, that has value, I will do it because I want to keep the good things in my life. But I wanna, I'm trying to get rid of the junk carbon if you like. So the things that you're doing that don't add value to your life, those are the things we should get rid of. Mm. I wonder if we'll have over time, when I, when I was a young thing, there were um, what were called bulk food, bulk and health food mm. shops they were called, and they were everybody, everyone's mums that I knew went in there and bought stuff in paper bags. You know, yep. it's kind of like like the food co-op in Canberra now, mm. but they were everywhere. They were in every shopping centre. And then they sort of phased out, I guess, with the rise and strength of the big supermarket chains. Um, do you think we... Do you think, I mean, in that situation, that would surely be... Um, like if we could get easily to a shop like that. How I'm dreaming about bulk food shops returning... Yeah, I I think there would be a lot of value in that. I think also going forward, we'll probably find different things suit different people. Mm. So if you were the traditional way of bulk food shopping, um, and they were still just a little bit around when I was a kid, but not much, you'd you'd go with your own container, you'd fill up a lot. Yes. You're doing that bulk shop. And it, it used to be, I guess, when we were more rural, you'd maybe do it once every month maybe or so. And so your transport's quite low and that's very efficient. And, look, that might actually suit a lot of people in the modern mm. world. Um, and I've, I've used the co-op like that. I, I wouldn't go there every week. But, mm. you know, you go there every now and then and you fill up your containers and you get a whole lot of that dry supplies. That's great. Mm. Um, but it might not suit everybody. And I think it's actually really useful to see that there's a lot of different options. What I came across in this project is I usually found two or three different ways to get the same result. Yeah. And one of those would suit me and my family. But I'm like, well, I, my mates wouldn't do this, but they'd do that or they'd do this. Mm. And it, it, it's sort of, it's good news really yeah. that businesses and communities can come up with lots of different ways to fix the same problem and get good results. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's fantastic. So let's ask a little bit about yourself, Joe. I mean, what, what led you into this you know, what you were talking about that a decade ago you were thinking about yeah. your diet and about your household's impact. So obviously you've been thinking about 
climate and environment for a while. What, what led you down this path? Yeah, I, I actually remember very clearly a moment standing in the supermarket just absolutely frozen with indecision, trying to work out what to buy. Choice like, paralysis. Choice paralysis, <laughs> absolutely, choice paralysis. I'm like, oh, there's, there's Australian beef. Oh, but, you know, I know I've heard beef's got a high impact. Maybe, maybe I should get the, the, vegan, the vegan soy tofu over here. Oh, but that's been really heavily processed in a factory and I've heard that's not very good and look at all the plastic packaging and maybe I should get the lentils. I've heard lentils are really good, but look, these ones came from Peru yeah. and, you know, I've heard that food miles is really bad and I, I literally walked out. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to eat. Mm. Which sounds like a stupid situation for an adult woman to find herself in when she just doesn't know what to eat. So for a while after that, we just sent Rob to the supermarket. <laughs> he just got the job done. Um, and then I guess I started digging into this. And it, yeah, as I said, it's, it's detailed and it's interesting. But I've gradually emerged with a few simple lessons. So with food, you can keep it simple. Eat more plant foods. Mm. Doesn't have to mean mm. vegan. Mm. But eat more plant foods. Doesn't matter what you do. That principle will take you far with just about everything it's it's going to sound really basic buy less and then buy greener mm. so i think i'm an environmentalist but i actually did an audit of the stuff i bought for six months and it turns out that i'd bought more than rob which embarrassed me hideously because i'm the green um i bought more stuff most of it i didn't need one of those things still had the label on i hadn't I hadn't used it, which is just embarrassing. That's just terrible. But, you know, we buy stuff without even thinking about it. So there's some really it's, – it's a lot of those really simple principles work and then some of those really simple principles don't. So this mm. is where we've got some old lessons that we probably need to unpick. Yeah. It's really funny, that urge to shop, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I try and, you know, like many of us, don't try, try to shop a lot less. But because I'm involved in a little arts group – I'm, I shop for paints and brushes, you know, and it's like this is totally virtuous because um, <laughs> because it's not for me. But isn't that hilarious that we, uh, you know, that there's some, I don't know what the urge to shop is. It's probably something really primeval around going out and getting, getting your food, you know. But I don't know, Scotty, are you a, a mad shopper? No, I'm more on the hoarding and recycling side of things, you know. So, you know, I can't go past a skip without having a look, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, what are they chucking out that good hardwood for? Crazy. I'll put it on my bike and off I go, you know. <laughs> yeah. So have you got You'd a backyard? You'd be amazed what you can fit on your bicycle. And then have you yeah. got a backyard that you can't actually move in? Because... No, well, you have to start getting organised at yeah. some point. Yeah. So, no, no, the backyard's relatively clear, but, you know. I'm a tradie, so I've got tools and bits and pieces. Yeah, so yeah. It could be tidier, but uh, my wife does keep me in line. Yeah. So we all need someone to keep us in line when it comes to the acquisition of stuff. <laughs> I think it's a healthy thing to have, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, Scotty. I work with the Green Shed. I have a recycling company that I run with them. And yeah, one nice. of, yeah, they, it's interesting to see inside the sausage factory. So I, I worked out because I like to buy clothes. I pretty much stopped buying new clothes. The carbon impact of used clothes is almost nothing. So there you go, Annie. You can buy if you if you find it in an op shop, buy it. Don't mm, worry about mm. it. It's probably okay. Mm. But it's interesting when you start to see how much stuff we're generating. And I've worked in waste and recycling too, and it starts to turn you off a little bit. 
I think you start to realise, you start to think, oh, it's, I'm just picking up waste and taking it home. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's, yeah. Well, I got caught out with picking up softwood because I didn't have an a indoor place to stash all my wood. Yeah. And the softwood just rotted and became mm. this big mess and a whole yeah. lot of work that I had to clean up. So I don't pick up softwood anymore. So, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> you learn, you learn. I have, to, I have to confess to being a hoarder of lumps of wood too and then when we've had this recent <laughs> fire season <gasps> and oh. trying to clean up the abomination of the yard and, and realising that there's, yeah... There's an awful lot of timber lying around and so it's really focused me now. I think there's probably a lot of people in Canberra who've mm. focused themselves because of wanting to ensure that their properties are as, or their homes are as, you know, fire unfriendly, if you know what I mean, like mm. as possible um, to try and get rid of junk. And, um, yeah, so I understand the urge to acquire bits of wood. And all sorts of stuff in skips. I'm a bit of a skip diver too. I am. Um, I I did have a chat to some skip dippers, and I tend to be an op shopper rather than a skip dipper. Yeah. But oh goodness, that's an interesting world. There's all this culture and and hidden rules and where the best place, where the best skips are. It's it's a fascinating network. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's probably. I wonder if it's really different in terms of food because there's the the dumpster diving world for food, but then there's this sort of materials stuff like yeah bits mm. of wood and Metal, uh, yeah. and something that you see and you you're not even sure what it was but you can kind of envisage it being useful for something else that sort of that whole thing of oh that could come in handy mm. um, and then it sits around at your place <laughs> mm. well, that's where the buy nothing group sort of comes in yeah, handy you can just great. sort of shove it off to someone else yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's good if someone else has a need for it isn't it i mean that's yeah, the goal yeah, yeah, that's um, that we don't all just end up Hoarding stuff, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've also actually cleaned out hoarder houses. Oh. So it uh, runs in my family, not me, but <laughs> elsewhere. And it's, yeah. uh, again, it's, it's a bit like working at the green shed. It's quite confronting and you yeah. suddenly think, hmm, this is, this, is, this is the end. This is the end of my habits. <laughs> That's right. Let's have a little think about this. Yeah, I've done a bit of work in some hoarding houses and they're, uh, they are confronting. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like, wow, better keep a handle on this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, when I was looking at, uh, I did a few units on stuff, the stuff we buy that isn't food, mm. and I found myself channeling my grandmother, who lived as if the depression never ended, mm. um, and she's she's long past now. But I, I found myself, I, I I set up a little book I call the Snarky Nana book. She was a bit snarky, <laughs> and now before I buy something that isn't food, I try and explain it to my dead hundred year old grandmother mm. what what it is and why I need it, mm. and you'd be amazed. How hard it is to persuade your dead grandmother you really need the latest widget. So it's actually been a really good. It just uh, it's that little impulse control. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. And so she's kind of pretty much like you know, don't buy it. You don't, don't need buy it. that. You what do you need it? that for? You only use yeah. it for five minutes and it'll be sitting in the cupboard collecting dust. Exactly. Oh, good. Yeah. We all need one of those. Yeah. We all need a. We all need a snarky nana. A snarky nana. Yeah, that's right. My, my grandma lived through the depression too, and. You know, just all oh, that urge for, I mean, she would save bits of string and mm. the butter wrappers would go in a special place for greasing cake tins and, like, nothing got thrown away. It was kind of... But somehow she did it without acquiring all this yeah. stuff, you know, I guess because she didn't buy much stuff. It was just food-related, you know. I think that's it, Annie. I think there mm. was just less stuff around. There was less So, stuff. And we're still 
we're still behaving like that, but mm. now we're in this massive world of abundance. Mm. The habits just don't fit, so we've just got to reprogram ourselves a bit. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's true. So you, you were talking a bit earlier about uh, transport. What's your thoughts on transport in terms of, I mean, flying, that's a clear, a clear big impact and I think there's a lot of people trying to reduce their flying or, or even put running a sort of line over it like, well, is it essential? Yeah. Um, could I get there a different way? Yeah. Could I go to a closer location? What about just getting around town? I mean, like, well, you're a cyclist, so you've you've probably you're in the optimum position. So, <laughs> so Scotty, so yeah. the two of you are, you know, gold stars on the transport yeah. scale. <laughs> yeah. No, the the transport actually was a, another of those really good news stories when mm. I looked at it, and I looked at my transport, my household transport. We actually kept a logbook of the car for a year and a half. You know, there's a lot of data in this. I wouldn't mm. recommend anyone do this. It's mm. very boring. Um, and I looked at the average Australian. And it's it's one of those good stories where there are three great solutions to the problem that we already have right now. Um, for those who want to drive around, an electric car now in Canberra running on 100% renewable electricity mm. is a fantastic option. Um, and I test drove one of those. I hate cars. It was a beautiful car. I really wanted one. Um, the problem is they're quite expensive, obviously. Any car is expensive. The electric cars, you save a bit on servicing um, and costs, but they're still quite a lot to buy. So if you can't afford that, that's not a problem. I worked out if you ride your bike two or three days a week, um, and Scotty and I probably ride our bike every day, uh, but it, even if you just start saying, okay, I'll ride to work two days a week, you'll drastically slash mm. your transport footprint. And if you don't like to ride, and some people don't, if you just catch the bus or the light rail... Again, you'll get about the same gains. Mm. So there's there's three really good options, and then it's just about building an urban environment that supports all of those options, so that people can choose. Yeah, it's interesting in Canberra, isn't it? Because we are yeah. such a spread, you know, a low density city spread out. Um, I, I did some ecological footprinting stuff in the '90s, and at the time, I think the ACT had the largest transport um, footprint maybe except for Northern Territory. So looking at states. So in the Northern Territory, obviously, they're all driving long, long distances. Mm -hmm. But we're driving relatively short distances, but almost on highway conditions all, all around our town, those of us that are driving, driving. So it ends up that we actually drive a lot more than people in other states. So, uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's something that we can, as individuals, do something about, but it also is around the structure of the city, isn't it, and about the government provision of public transport and design of new suburbs and all of those. Yep, absolutely, and, and really good public transport is essential and that's something that we haven't got right in Canberra. No. We need more services. We've The government of the day has sort of favoured commuter services, which are great, mm. that is fantastic, good way to get a lot of people out of cars but they've neglected those cross suburb and you know mm. school drop off and all that other trip chaining stuff that you know human beings need to do we're people mm. we're not just robots going to work and coming home again some of us aren't doing that at all mm. um, so we need a lot more regularity of that and a better network mm. um, but the other thing that we have in Canberra because we don't want to be a car focused car and cities choke on cars even electric cars cause congestion, so it's not it's not a good way to say, okay, for the next 40 years, Canberra's only going to have cars and they'll be electric. That wouldn't work either. Yes. 
But we do have quite a lot of people who are quite wealthy and we are have perfect distances for e-cars. Most of them, they've got a range of 250 or 300 kilometres. You're not going to do that in a day in Canberra. You can't. Mm. So it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really good solutions. We just, mm. we just need to get on and do it. Yeah, mm. well, we've been sizing up um, an electric delivery van for one of the local organic farms. It's gone totally off-grid out of Brooks Valley. And... Um, their delivery runs 180 k's, and that's yep. going all through town and an extra 20 k's on either side. So, yeah, you would 200 k's would be plenty yeah. for a town commute. Yeah, the, the car I test drove, we only have one car in our family, and we try not to drive it much, but it needs to get to the beach and back. And yeah. the one I the one I test drove, which is you know a bit pricey, but it's gorgeous, 280 k's. Yeah, and like also, I'm never I mean, going to drive further than that in a trip. Simple, simple technology like having a, a battery trailer that you can plug into your car yeah. to extend the range. I mean, yep. that's easy and you can share that amongst a whole lot of cars. Yeah. And, you know, it's not rocket science, just nobody's really thought of it yet. No. A lack of imagination. Lack of imagination. There's also a lot of really good industry opportunities here. So I remember I was at one of the Renewable Hub presentations and we asked how much one of the high-speed chargers cost to build because I thought it must be very complicated and very expensive and very difficult because there aren't many of them around. They cost less than $5,000. So you're talking like two to five grand. And somebody said, why doesn't every McDonald's and every 7-Eleven put one up? Because while you're Mm. plugged in, you'd go into the shop and buy something. Like, of course, why doesn't every every business that wants you to stay there for 20 minutes, why Mm. wouldn't you just bung Mm. one of those in Mm. out the front? Yeah, well, look, stay tuned on that. I'll be talking about this in a few minutes, but we are starting down the track now of a community-owned electric vehicle network. Yep. Um, so, yeah, don't wait for the big billionaires to do it. Let's do it ourselves. Yeah, I, I agree with that. AST Green's just announced last week some funding to get more charge stations around and about they're already there but we need a lot more of them mm. but yeah and i think it's i think it's a combination it's community initiatives it's businesses and it's governments and we all need to do it together community businesses community businesses yes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, joe we've we've gone a little bit off the off the low carbon diet because it's <laughs> because everything's connected isn't it it's all interconnected but and so in terms of your your recommendations for people who are on an average diet, how would they? Um, so sounded like you were saying reduce your meat. So are you suggesting the thing like you know people have been doing meatless Mondays or things like that, or, mm. or you'd go a bit further? I think you were saying to get down to a, a significant change. Yep. So I I personally go a bit further than that, but the diet that I tested that is a pretty low carbon. I'm calling it the supermarket swap because you can do it in any supermarket. That still has one kilo of meat and fish every week and one kilo of dairy, a bit more than those actually. So it's this is not this is a far cry from veganism. Yeah. Um, that the, the the biggest change you'd probably instantly notice is your you would be eating red meat every couple of weeks or every month, not every week on that, and you would be eating a lot more of the other white meats and mm. fishes. Mm. Um, and then you, you probably, if you actually monitor how much dairy you have in a week, you'd probably be cutting that down. I think a lot of us consume a lot more dairy than we realise. Yeah. And it, like you don't, I wouldn't recommend anybody measure this stuff. It, it really is a way to make you crazy. But if you just glance at your receipt and notice how mm. many litres and kilos mm. of stuff you buy, that's a really good 
that's the quick way to, f- to work out how much of this stuff is my family actually eating. Mm. I think the other really easy gain to make that I looked at in food was food waste. And that's getting a lot of attention now. Um, because, of course, particularly with meat and dairy, if you're buying meat and dairy and then wasting it, that's absolutely yeah. insane. Um, and then, unfortunately, there's a lot of that hidden waste in the supply chain. And, you know, we need to work with our local businesses. And then, you know, I think we need a bit more government intervention of all that hidden waste that you don't see. So when you go to a cafe, you know, they're wasting food on your behalf that you can't necessarily influence. Mm. And supermarkets are the same. So there's there's a lot of gains to be made there that we won't notice, won't affect our quality of life, but will affect climate change. Mm, mm, that's right. I, I was somewhere once where some some of my friends were doing some dumpster diving and they the things that they were bringing in I found really fascinating, like um, a plastic bag that, uh, you know, with half a dozen potatoes in it. Yeah. And it was like, well, why would there be a plastic bag with half a dozen potatoes thrown into the skip? And the only thing I could, the only way I could work this out was that somebody had been shopping, put the potatoes in the bag in their trolley, mm. and then gotten to the checkout or gotten somewhere and decided, oh, I don't actually really want those potatoes. So they just kind of left them in the trolley or put them back. And things like that get thrown in the skip, mm. like the time it would take to open the bag and put the potatoes back on the rack. Mm. for whatever reason the staff in those supermarkets are told not to spend that time and mm. so you know we well this is going off into another track but you know we we all know there's an awful lot of food waste as you say and that's that probably accounts for an awful lot of the carbon impact of our food as as jet ordinary energy waste does you know our lack of energy efficiency in, in our houses and our transport and everything oh anyway so Joe, if we want to find out more, if, if anyone out there is interested in um, checking out the research that Joe's done and checking the references and looking at the calculations, and I'm sure there'll be some people who are really keen to go into the carbon accounting, like <laughs> exciting. So it's um, carbondiet.com.au. Is that right? That is correct. And look, if if anybody has any, you know, extra information or data or if you mm. notice that I've done something you don't understand why or you think I've made a mistake, get in touch with me. This is how this is how our, our information improves, isn't it? Mm. So I've I've been really careful uh, to I've I upload all my sources and I upload all my spreadsheets because I really want people to have a look at it and tell mm. me where I've got it wrong. Well, it's a beautiful kind of citizen science project, isn't it? I mm. mean, I know they're often a lot of citizens, but you're almost inviting other citizens to you know to add their research if they've done some, um, you know, send you information. As well, but you know, I think it's great that your family's done that experiment, and they must be very tolerant people. <laughs> well, yeah, as I said, it's interesting. When I when I first pitched this, I got a lot of pushback, and by the end of it, you know, it's a delight. Mm. So I've got my my daughter who's in first grade now. Every time they start talking about sustainability or the environment, she just stands up and takes over the classroom. Oh, it's really quite fabulous. <laughs> it's drive the teachers insane, but it's it's quite hilarious. Either that or they just take a breath and go, oh. <laughs> that's, that's probably the more likely, isn't it? They go, oh, you, someone. <laughs> Thank God, somebody knows what they're talking someone about. Someone knows what they're talking about. That's right. Um, we didn't mention that, um, Joe. you're a candidate for the Greens in the upcoming ACT election. What led you to take that step? That's a big step. 
step, isn't it, Timmy? That is a big step, Annie. Yeah. yeah, look, I'm not a politician. I'm an artist and a businesswoman. I run a recycling company and I run this project and I mm. write books. Um, but I just, over the last few years, and, you know, we, we know this from activism circles, I've just been watching other people getting it wrong. Mm. And I think I've come to the conclusion that we've got this big problem. We have most of the solutions we need already and we're coming up with new ones all the time and we just need communities and business and government at every level working on it. And then I started to see what the ACT Greens were actually achieving here. We've, we've got 100% renewable electricity. State of climate change emergency has been declared. We were one of the first. We keep coming out with we've just got another $4 million for climate change yes. announced last week. These really amazing things that are actually world leading. Mm. And I thought, look, if we can get just a couple more seats in government doing that, you know, we'll probably get there. Mm. So it's, yeah, I think I'd, I just really wanted to have a go from the government end of things, having seen it from the community and household end of things and from the business end of things. I think I really want to bring those three strands together, working together. Oh, that's fantastic, Joe. because that's, you know, in, in the ideal world, that's the sort of people that we do have in, in government, isn't it? People mm. who have, you know, done been involved in community projects and small business projects and really understand people's lives. Um, you know, I think to me that's the people that we want to be representing us, not people who've, you know, just been, you know, I don't want to put down lawyers. Lawyers are really essential. <laughs> but, you know, like if you look at our federal parliament, for example, that, you know, lawyers and accountants yep. would dominate. There's very few scientists. I think that's part of the problem in terms of, why we're we not getting any traction on climate. I mean, there's a ma many reasons, but I think one of them is a, the basic understanding isn't there. So good on you for stepping up because I think it would be a, a hard thing to do. It um, is. It yeah. is, although I'm also I'm involved in the activist circles too and I keep mm. looking around at the school strikers mm. and Stop Adani and XR and there's an awful lot of people doing great work, making amazing sacrifices mm. and you just can't sit on the sidelines. You know, we just yeah. need to get in and fix it. So yeah. wherever you are, you know, whatever you can do, I thought this was something I could I could probably manage. Mm. Got to do everything at once. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that's right, Scotty. That's a good way to finish on this discussion, isn't it? Got to do everything at once. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's a lot of us. <laughs> Luckily, there's a lot of us.